Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What you really want to ask is why am I not white? And maybe just like, I might prefer you just saying that. <laughs> just say like, what makes you brown? And I can let you know. Hola, this is episode six of Absolutely Not, the podcast dedicated to debunking and exposing all things absolutely incorrect. I'm your host, Leanna Lupin. Today we are talking to two of the finest ladies I know about their experiences as Indian Americans. Before we start, though, I did want to underscore the fact that although I pretty consistently ask my podcast guests to speak to their experiences with regard to their specific identities, that they are by no means speaking for all people from those communities. In fact, some of the most interesting and enlightening feedback I've received is from people who share the same identity markers, but have had vastly different experiences or strongly disagree with something that was said. In my humble opinion, that is the beauty of having these conversations. Asike, please remember that I am absolutely not trying to treat whole groups of people as monoliths, but instead I am deeply interested in learning from the individual identities of the people around me. Okay? Okay, empezamos. Okay, hi friends. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Absolutely Not. Uh, can you just go ahead and quickly introduce yourselves and give us a little bit of background on who you are? I'm Aria. I teach kindergarten. Um, I am a woman, a cis hetero woman. I am half Indian and half white. Um, and I also speak Spanish, Hindi, and English. Nice. Thank you. And I am Incia. I am a former middle school math teacher. I currently work on Wall Street. I am a cis hetero woman. I am an Indian Muslim and I speak Hindi, Urdu, English, and a little bit of Spanish, can read and write Arabic. Ooh, okay, thank you very much. Um, all right, I just wanna jump right into it. India has, uh, you know, almost 1.5 billion people, which is wild because that doesn't include Indians living elsewhere. So my first question for you both is like, is there anything that you do feel is central to the experience of being Indian? I know that's like not a super fair question, but I think about Americans and I'm like, fast food, we can all connect on fast food. Um, but is there, is there anything that, you know, most Indians would know, but like I absolutely wouldn't, for example? I think we definitely connect on chai. Chai is the American person's coffee. We drink it all the time. We connect on Bollywood. We connect on Indian grocers. So you have Apna Bazaar. You have Patel Brothers who were canceling because they're pro-Hindu nationalists. Uh, we connect on Indian representation in Hollywood. So Hasan Minhaj, Dev Patel. Formerly Aziz Ansari, but not anymore. <laughs> and now shows like Indian matchmaking as well. Okay. Ari, anything that you can think of? No. Like, what are the inside jokes that you and Incia have that I can't, I can't? I feel like there are so many moments where you both have, you look at each other and there's something that's just automatically understood. I'm like, all right, well, that one's not for me. <laughs> I think part of that is just the shared language. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, most of our inside jokes are in Hindi because we both have that in common. And it's a really fun way of commenting on what's going on around you without anyone knowing what you're talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. And I can't even do that with Spanish and Chris, for example, because Ari's Spanish is like better than both of ours, um, which is really cool. I feel like there's no overstating how much speaking multiple languages kind of just opens up your whole life. I was thinking actually in, in preparing for this episode about a couple of days ago where I where Ari introduced a concept that like I've never been able to put to words because it just doesn't exist in English and Spanish but it was when you shared like the prayer that you have for when you kill you know when you pass by roadkill I've always felt like a deep sadness but I've had nothing that I can do in that instance and then Ari was like this is a, a prayer that I literally say every time can you say it oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed and you say it three times amazing and it's supposed to help their soul you know depart from the earth and reach moksh with god so like reunite with god that's like one small example of how knowing multiple languages means you have like multiple connections to the world i suppose but i do want to like tackle a misconception right off the bat speaking hindu speaking hindi hindi hindu see i don't even know is that a language is that a religion break it down <laughs> hindi is the language hindu or Hin hindu would be like a person who follows hinduism so if you are following hinduism then you're hindu 
Okay. Yeah. So what are the religious dynamics of being Indian? Like, is it a safe assumption to meet an Indian person and be like, ah, they're probably Hindu? It's okay. And I would forgive somebody for assuming if I were Hindu just based on my Indian identity marker, because just based on sheer numbers, 90% or somewhere around 90% of India is Hindu. There are I think six main religions, you have Hinduism followed by Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, Sikhism, Jainism. And what I think is a common theme within Indian culture is how vast it is. I mean, just geographically, India is super vast. But then when you think about how many languages are spoken, there's 22 languages. And then within those languages, you have thousands of dialects. And then within each religion, you have so many different sects of Islam. And I think the complexity goes even deeper when it comes to Hinduism and the different castes and the different practices. So I think it's important to know that, I mean, it's never right to make an assumption, but I guess based on sheer sheer numbers, um, I can understand why somebody would conflate being Indian with being Hindu. Um, Incia knows this. I was raised in a very like narrow conception of what um, what being Indian was, and I conflated a lot of the things that were Hindu cultural pieces with just India in general. And I would use the two terms almost interchangeably. So I think being friends with Incia has helped me me gain perspective and kind of slow down when I'm trying to think about whether something is a Hindu tradition that I follow versus a Indian tradition. Yeah. And also, um, Indian culture is like very much shaped by Hindu traditions and it seeps into all different religions. I mean, I'm thinking about what women wear, what Muslim Indian women wear at their wedding. They wear traditional red outfits, which is something that they've taken from Hindu culture. In Islam, you don't wear red on your wedding, you wear white. So for you personally, does how does that affect like your connection to your Indianness? Like, do you feel, I don't know if this is even a fair question, but like more or less Indian because you are Muslim and you can, you can connect on like the culture, the things that you share culturally, but you know, how does, how does like having a, a religion that is different from the vast majority of your Indian counterparts kind of like affect your connection to that or does it? My entire life has been a manifestation of intersectionality after intersectionality. I spent almost every single one of my summers in India speaking Urdu, trying to understand Hindi, growing to admire Hindu traditions like the Bindi, um, you know, partaking in our family friends' Hindu tradition pujas, which are prayers. And Partaking in these traditions is normal because India is, like I said, Hindu majority and Hinduism is obviously going to have a strong influence on our culture. But I did this all while fasting alongside my hijabi aunts and my bearded AF uncles who <laughs> looked really, really Muslim. Yeah. So I've learned how to, from a very young age, strike a balance between cherishing my relationship with Hindu influenced Indian cultures like saris and jewelries and Bharat Natyam dance, which Arya can tell you about, but also maintain a commitment to my Islamic roots. But this is, this comes from my privilege and that I was sheltered from Hindu Muslim antagonism because I get to selectively insert myself mm-hmm. and experience India from social settings is that of because my choice. You grew up in the U.S. Is that what you're saying? Like you have that totally as you're removed from the dynamic within India? Yeah, I got to buy a ticket and go visit India whenever, when when I chose to and when I was able to selectively avoid, you know, times in India where there was civil unrest and violence. So I, I get to, I got to witness the best parts of India and Indian culture. It's just, I'm Muslim and Indian at the same time. I think that's really interesting. I think there's probably something we said as like just immigrants or children of immigrants, like the privilege and picking and choosing from you know, your, your culture, the things that you still like. And I'm kind of curious, like as women in your twenties who, you know, have a very wide array of friends and, and experiences, like what are the, the cultural traditions that you guys still adhere to? Like to this day, if any, what are the ones that you kind of were like, no, you know, I don't vibe with this. I don't know enough about this. You know, like what has, has continued to, to hold importance for you or, you know, 
even transformed in importance, right? Like religions, traditions, holidays, for example, right? Those all just can shift over time. So kind of how do you maintain that? Do you maintain that? And, and what parts of that, you know, do you still cherish out here in California or over there in New York for NC? Um, so for me, I had a very interesting um, relationship with Hinduism and Indian culture growing up. I grew up with my parents divorced um, and my dad was white and my mom um, was Indian. And so the time that I spent in either place was very compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the traditions that I did celebrate were not celebrated in the time that I was spending with my white family. So I think over time it, it has done nothing but transform and I'm constantly negotiating my relationship with my own Indian identity. Right now I'm, I'm still vegetarian. I think that's the thing that's kind of been pervasive throughout my whole entire life. I've never eaten meat on purpose. And that is from my Hindu background and from my mother. Also, Bollywood movies like Insia touched on, those are just such a, um, such a source of joy for me and are deeply nostalgic. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that I always return to in times that I want to reconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, the, the, if I had to pick two traditions, that I am still faithful to. One of them is Bollywood, like Aria mentioned. They serve as like the best source of good memories from my childhood. And they're also just extremely enjoyable and fun to watch. I think um, from my religious identity, I like Aria also keep a halal diet and Islam the way that it was presented to me in America was extremely problematic really patriarchal very anti-feminist and also just like totally inaccurate um to you like in school yeah so the way that Sunday school worked which was just our religious Islamic class we were just taught a bunch of lies (laughs) um and I mean, I, I can I can say this now because I can study Islam like from from a more intellectualized, independent perspective. And Islam is is beautiful. Like it's it's a feminist, beautiful, spiritual religion that teaches you to cleanse your heart um, and teaches you to be compassionate. Before I move on, the reason I mention Islam is feminist is that. The Quran, among many things, outlawed female infanticide, allowed women to divorce, and also allowed women to receive inheritance. However, what the Quran did for women in 7th century Medina is not the end of female liberation. Muslims have to continually update the application of justice as it relates to women. Also, when people talk about Islam as anti-feminist, they're often confusing more conservative cultures with Islam itself. For example, Segregation of genders in mosques was dictated by Caliph Omar and isn't mentioned anywhere in the Quran. The Prophet's first wife, Khadija, was a total business badass, but no one talks nearly enough about this part of her. We should not confuse where the text was introduced with the actual text itself. Unfortunately, the way Quranic teachings are often delivered and the fact that all Islamic texts have been translated by men is what paints Islam as patriarchal. The Quran as a feminist document is starkly different from how it was presented to me. Whereas the way that Islam was taught to me was you must not question the religion, you must not question your elders, and you must be God-fearing. And I think along with those problematic thoughts, I was taught to participate in these very whimsical rituals, and that's what that's what being Muslim in America meant. It meant that you covered yourself. It meant that you wore hijab. It meant that you prayed five times a day. It meant that you fasted during Ramadan for 30, day, for 30 days um, in the year. But we weren't taught like the fundamentals of what it means to be Islam. Um, so I think one of the practices that I still hold on to is keeping a halal diet because that was just a ritual that was easy for me but to yeah, keep. Can you spell out what that actually means though for people that don't know? Yeah, halal is basically the Muslim version of kosher. So the way that we cut and prepare our meat is in a way that will um, remove the blood and impurities from animals in the most efficient, effective way possible. And it means not eating pork. So we can have almost every meat but pork. It's the exact same thing as kosher. 
Yeah, wait, okay, bouncing back to Ari, can you explain the connection for you and being vegetarian? Is it true that all Hindus, no, sorry, all Indians worship cows? I, <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot. I, like, I have this distinct memory of sixth grade and learning about Hinduism in school, and the only thing that stuck with me and the only thing that I was questioned about for the remainder of that year and into the future was, wow, you guys worship cows, why? <laughs> And I think I've like found that my hangup really is on the term worship. Um, and it makes it seem like there's like um, a cow God that we're worshiping, which is not really the case. What Hinduism means is that you respect all living things and you recognize the God that is inside their soul. And so Hindus have a deep respect for animals and specifically for cows because they we're very appreciative of the milk, the cheese, the butter, all of these fruits of the cow. It's viewed as part of the family and it's viewed as kind of this maternal figure. So it is special in a way, but I would say it's more of a deep respect than a worship. And because we recognize the God that lives inside each living being's soul, that is why Hindus are vegetarian for the most part. And if there are Hindus that are not vegetarian, they will mostly avoid beef. So um, the cow ends up being the one thing that that kind of rings true throughout non-vegetarian and vegetarian Hindus. Awesome. Thank you for explaining that. Um, Okay, amazing. So, I mean, I appreciate this. I kind of want to dig in a little bit more to the religion aspect because I do feel like of all my friends, perhaps you and Sia more than Ari, but maybe both of you, like you have the strongest connection to religion. So I am curious like what that looks like in your day-to-day practices or in a world in which like someday if you had children, like what are the kinds of things that you would for sure want to teach them or pass on to them? And what are the things that you don't or that you don't care about or that you've questioned in Sia? Have you ever questioned your religion in the way that you were told you were supposed to or has anyone led you down that path to question it? Yeah, absolutely, Leanna. <laughs> um, <laughs> Leanna has has helped me question my religion, and I'm so glad for it because had it not been for you, Leanna, I probably would have would not have started you would have my a closer relationship with your family and much <laughs> happier human being. I probably would still be accepted by my uh, my my Islamic and Indian community, but um... <laughs> anyways, okay. So I think I'm gonna keep going back to the intersectionality of being Indian and Muslim because it's it's literally who I am. I can't separate those two things. My Indianness, and I'm sure, and I'm, I'm curious to know whether Aria feels this way, but it's always made me wary of how my actions are perceived by society. That's the biggest key. Reputation is so key within Indian culture. Um, but then you add on misguided patriarchal Islamic traditions on top of that, that are lectured to Muslim Americans and then on top of that, as a woman, I'm, I'm basically prevented from doing most things that my white counterparts can do. And again, like want to make clear, Islam is not BS, but the way that Islam is presented to American kids is BS. So um, I've been, I've literally been scolded by so many Muslims my entire life by, for, for being Basharam. Basharam means without shame. And for example, if I were wearing shorts or if I were hanging out with boys in my high school and a Muslim auntie happened to see, or an Indian auntie happened to see, they would characterize me as Basharam to my parents. But to have Sharam, to have shame is actually something that's respected for women. And that's something that I definitely don't want to pass on to my kids. I want them to feel liberated. I want them to feel comfortable in their own skin. I don't want them to feel like what they wear or who they choose to hang out with is something that they need to be embarrassed about. So how do you reconcile that then? Like, is that built into Islam or is that something that's cultural that you could be like, this is just, this is not part of our culture and we're not going to adhere to it. Or do you have to, do you have to like rationalize to your, you know, hypothetical children why they are free of it when their, you know, Muslim friends are not. So it's actually not an Islamic value at it's all. Really cultural. It's real. It's really cultural, and I think it's been Islam has been muddied by patriarchal and negative collective collectivist ways. So, as you might know, um, 
Indian culture, Eastern cultures are very, very collectivist versus American culture, which is super individualistic. So everything that we do from, you know, what we, where we decide to work, who we decide to hang out with, who we decide to date and marry is a matter of the community. And it's a direct reflection of your community, which happens in most cases to be your family. So what I, who I decide to hang out with is a direct reflection of the values that my parents have, have instilled in me. It's not an Islamic value whatsoever. I think though the way that Islam is portrayed in America is sanitized by rich, powerful, misogynist men as are most good things in this world. Like everything else. Okay. Like everything else. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think I reconcile that by, by independently knowing what Islam actually is, because I know the truth. I've studied Islam. I understand like what this religion is and it's not a patriarchal misogynist uh, religion. So really, if I were to pass down these ideas of shame and the othering of Bisharam people to my kids, I would be falsely portraying what Islam is to my kids. So really, like, I'm doing justice by them by not passing on these problematic thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting that you say, like, you know the truth and you know what Islam actually is. I think that's a fascinating question for religion, but also just ideas in general right this idea that like I know the truth well there's someone you know you have a counterpart out there somewhere saying that they know the truth that Islam is all of the opposite things that you're saying right you know at the end of the day someone else might look at the same exact passage and be like no my interpretation is supported but before we move on I Ari you've been like nodding your head so I am curious if this is like a cultural concept right um like Insia just explained and not so much religious like how did it come up in your life and also how did it clash maybe if your life was super compartmentalized and also because I know this about you, but like you grew up mostly around white people. How did, you know, having two cultures within your two different parents come up in that, in that context and, and being around people who can I say it again? Bisharam? Bisharam. Okay. So yeah. So how does that play into, yeah. How did that play into growing up around people that were probably exclusively Bisharam? Um, for me, I resonated with a lot of what NCO was talking about in terms of modesty I think modesty is something that has been like deeply, deeply drilled into my mind constantly from when I was little also because I have huge boobs. So like (laughs) we can talk about that for a really long time. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. The only time my mom ever slapped me in the face was from like a really low cut shirt. So modesty is very important. And um, I received a lot of criticism my entire life from my Indian family for being too westernized. Mm. So that was the term that they used a lot of the time. Instead of Besharam, it was more like you're just, you're too westernized. And for me, that's because I spent half of my time with my white dad, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was very much, like Insia was saying, made me feel otherized from my own Indian culture. And so to me, through, through all of this time, the one thing, the one common thread that I've had is, is Hindi. I was so grateful to my mom for teaching that to me. She only spoken Hindi for the first few years of my life um, for, in an effort for me to learn. And uh, there are a lot of uh, second generation Indians uh, right now in the United States that don't know Hindi. Yeah. So I'm extremely grateful yeah. for knowing it. I've been spending the past few weeks relearning how to read and write it so it can be kind of complete. Yeah. And so I would love to be able to pass that down to my child. Yeah. But back to this idea of like modesty and, you know, as a bunch of cishet women sitting around, like I do, I am very curious about how that plays out, you know, for your own conception of your sexuality and also like within the realm of dating. The, at the very beginning in CIA, like you mentioned, um, Indian matchmaker, really, I'm still a little bit salty because I texted you and asked you if I would be a good matchmaker and you said, no, I don't think that's true. I think I would be phenomenal, but <laughs> I also, maybe not phenomenal. I think I'd do fine. But, but aside from that, my question for you um, as both just exceptionally beautiful human beings, like I'm not even being biased. It's stupid how pretty they are, but, um, but how has your experience with dating been similar or different from that of like your white friends or friends of other backgrounds? Um, or has it been different? Break it down. How do your families view it? How do these concepts kind of play into that? Uh, for me, I think it goes back to me constantly clinging to my whiteness. Um, and I also, we've been discussing it. It's debatable, but I'm pretty much white passing. I'm very ethnically ambiguous. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of what, what are you? Terrible question where are you from? Okay, well, then where were your parents from? Right. Okay, well, where were your grandparents from? (laughs) So 
so um, <laughs> really trying to get back there. But um, so I think for me, it's been just very dif different. I've been in all predominantly white spaces from high school through college. So I think most of my dating experience is me clinging to my whiteness and kind of pushing away mm -hmm. um, those cultural differences. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's, it's hard because I want my, my filter is so narrow. I'm looking for somebody that has the same identity markers as I do. And it's hard because I'm, I'm Indian, I'm Muslim, and within Islam, like, my, my sect is the minority sect of Shia, and I also am American, so there's this constant, it's hard because- A tall queen. Yeah, and, and I'm tall, I'm, I'm very tall, which is also atypical for Indian women to be, um, but the, the filter is already narrow, and then on top of that, the men that I- would consider dating just based on my identity markers are the same dudes that were sitting next to me learning the same bullshit in Sunday school, except they're not taking the time to unlearn it. So it's hard. And then there's a constant push and pull between my Indianness, my Muslimness, and my Americanness. And, you know, as much as I would, like Aria, would like to cling to whiteness. I feel like I can't ever delve too deeply into my Indianness because. Wait, wait, wait. Why would you like to cling to it? <laughs> also, because I don't want to be misinterpreted as I like to cling to my whiteness. That's just what I have done. Yeah. What um, you're compelled to do. But I, I feel like in addition to be like, in addition to like feeling compelled to stick to, I guess, my Americanness, which you can maybe is synonymous with whiteness. I'm also compelled to stick to my Indianness and my Muslimness. However, I can't ever, I feel like I can't ever delve too deeply into my Indianness because the further I go, the fewer Muslims there are, and then the more Hindus there are. And then the likelihood that I'm rejected from that space because of how few Muslims there are is, is higher. The, the Venn diagram, the, the middle part is so small. It's so, so small. Okay, so do you want a matchmaker? Like, this is a serious question. <laughs> like, no, I'm serious. Like, is that something that would, something that you would consider or no? And why or why not? I wouldn't be against it. I think recently my American individualism is coming to the surface more and more where I'm like, I just want to be happy and I want to have my career and I want to have kids. Like, and I want to abolish jails. Like, those are the three things that I want to do and I will be happy dying knowing that I was able to do those Will things. Will your parents be happy or your family be happy? Like, what is that? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think that is definitely something that would pain them and it would pain my community. And I would definitely feel isolated from my Muslim community, my Indian community. But that's the struggle of this, the intersectionality between being Muslim Indian, but also being American. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is like going back to something that was said a really, really long time ago, but you said that, <laughs> that, that you, um, your being compelled to cling to your Americanness might be the same as like being compelled to cling to whiteness. It might be synonymous, but my whiteness is like, my family's white. You know what I mean? Like it's, I feel like it's like, it's a bigger chunk than just being socialized in America. Like my parent who had primary custody was white. That's where I spent most of my time. All of my family was white. So the whiteness I think is just more, much more prevalent in, in my situation, which, so I, I think it's hard to directly compare like clinging to your Americanness to, to me clinging to like whiteness. Yeah, totally. No, totally. It's like such a, it's more, I'd say a fundamental part of who you are. Whereas for me, it's just me. Like it's not related at all to my parents' experience, my family's experience. It's something that I choose to engage with to the extent that I feel comfortable engaging with. Yeah. Like when I go home, I'm in a white house. You know what I mean? Like every time I go home. Yeah. Um, I get Indian food from a cookbook, you know yeah. what I mean? I get Indian food from a dope restaurant, but I'm not getting home-cooked Indian food anymore. So, like, if I were to date an Indian Hindu guy, mm -hmm. I'm not totally convinced I would have more in common and more shared experience than I would 
with a white person that I'm dating, yeah. if that makes sense. Like yeah. I grew up in white spaces. I, that's what I've navigated forever. And while my skin is brown, like um, it's deep in there. And so I don't know if I really do have a higher allegiance to, yeah, or if I should feel more compelled to date an Indian Hindu person. I don't know what I would have to give them that they couldn't get from a more Indian Hindu person. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's complicated. So I just feel like my distance from my culture is, is larger. Yeah. That's it. I mean, proximity to culture is just like such a, an interesting topic. Um, because I do feel like there are just a bunch of things at play. If you are, you know, if you grow up in the U S and you have family that did not, um, like your, your, your closeness to your culture and also like your, I don't know about you all, but like what you feel you have a right to versus not. But I did want to ask you both, maybe not for you specifically, but like how colorism plays into the dating scene for Indians, but also just generally, because I do feel like there's a whole lot there and like the caste system, if it is, my misconception maybe is that it is related in some ways that there's like an overlap between colorism and the caste system. But can you, one of you like break that down a little bit if you feel comfortable doing so, just because I feel like that's something that I don't fully understand. I can start. Um, Insia, this is actually a learning I've had from Insia recently. I did not know that caste system was Hindu. So it's not an Indian cultural phenomenon. It's a Hindu cultural phenomenon. So Insia doesn't have a caste. Um, me, I was always told to avoid the sun, to stay fair, because the higher castes were able to avoid the sun. They didn't have to work in the sun. So mm -hmm. having fairer skin was a marker of being in a higher caste. Um, so that's part of the colorism. I think, honestly, it's also part of why I'm white passing. I just look like really tan. I'm the same color as my full Indian mom. So my whole family is 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 lighter skinned. And I think it's been drilled into my brain for a really long time yeah. to, to keep it that way. Yeah. How does that work with your white friends? We had a, a talk the other day about tanning and like hearing your white friends say shit like, you know, I'm going to be as brown as you. <laughs> yeah. Can you speak to, I'm sure. Yeah. Aria just said, I've heard that so many times. Like, can you speak to what that's been like, you know, or why that's annoying for you, <laughs> for the people that don't understand? <laughs> yeah. I like Aria have heard that so many times and it's my growing up, my skin was way darker and it's become lighter over the years just because that's how hormones work and science. But I, was always really self-conscious about my skin color because my mom's side of the family is extremely white. And when I would go back to India, they'd be like, where did she get her skin color from? She's the black sheep. And my mom would buy me fair and lovely skin products, which are skin bleaching solutions. They're basically cheat codes for darker skinned people to be able to move comfortably within Indian society. And from a very young age, every single one of my birthday wishes was to have lighter skin because I hated the way that my skin looked. And when I would hear my non-Indian, non-brown friends talk about how they were going to get tan and how they wanted their skin to look darker, it was really annoying because I'm like, well, you get to selectively choose during the year when you want to basically wear my skin. Whereas for me, it's been a source of discomfort and hatred my whole life. Um, so it's, it's annoying for sure. But I think in recent years, I've grown to love my skin and it makes me sad that any young person of color, any young black or brown person would look at their skin in that way. But unfortunately, that's just how we're conditioned. It is, it makes me, I mean, as your friend, it obviously makes me really upset, but also just on the larger scale, knowing that so many people grow up with that self-hatred and also you wasted so many birthday wishes, right? Like that's also really sad. Um, the saddest but, part. But hopefully, like, hopefully, as you just said, you know, you're feeling um, like you're on the other side of that now. I'm sure it's still like a constant struggle and something that, you know, doesn't just happen overnight, but um, like the unlearning or the learning to love yourself. But um, what are some other things if you are willing to admit them, right? Like what are some other things that you both feel like you may have internalized or other things that you have to constantly work against um, with regard to your Indianness uh, to love or to, to view as like an asset or things that you just, you haven't been able to do yet. Yeah. 
I can touch on the model minority myth. That was something that I didn't realize was a thing, but I internalized that. And I went to a pretty good high school, upper middle class, primarily white and Asian. You had to have money to live in that neighborhood and you had to have resources. So I was conditioned to think that all Indians, all Asians were smart. Like we were doctors, lawyers, engineers, we were creme de la creme. And it was something that was inherently something about our Asian-ness, our Indian-ness that made us that way. Um, but that's also a complete lie. You know, in the, I think it was the, um, the, ni- the mid-1900s where the U.S. selectively chose smart, Um, Asian people to immigrate to the United States. And so you had uh, a very concentrated group of really, really smart, the creme de la creme of India and China and all these other Asian countries that sort of flushed out the former working class Asian people. So obviously you're going to have Asian people who have generational wealth, who have generational intelligence coming into the U.S., which is just not representative um, of what, you know, by its mere selectivity, what the South Asian experience is. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, internalized racism is like my whole relationship with my Indian identity. Um, Like when I talk about clinging to whiteness, that is what that is. You know what I mean? That's then, that's um, me internalizing and wanting to distance myself from all of the things that you hear about um, being Indian. So for me, I was like, why are they such nerds, mom? Like she was always trying to get me to have so many Indian friends, Mm. finding the school districts that had the most Indians. And I was like, mom, they're so weird. Mm. And she was like, it's because all the cool Indians couldn't get over here. They were stuck in India. That's what she told you. (laughs) Yeah, that's what she said. (laughs) So I think like, oh my God, like, it, Leanna, you constantly call me out on it. I have like, <laughs> I have a long, a long, long way to go. Um, In this conversation, I'm, you guys are literally just revealing that I'm the colonizer. I'm like making NC hate her religion, <laughs> telling you how to be Indian. This is not who I am. Don't I, I have shit talked Indians my whole life. Yeah. Like I need to be checked though. You know what I mean? So. Oh like, yeah, same. Um, but I mean, we all, everyone needs to be checked all the I, time. Yeah, that's just who your friends, if your friends aren't checking you, they're not your friends. Well, and that's <laughs> what you're constantly finding with Latino culture, with like every single like minority yeah. person of color culture that you see, right? That you try to distance yourself from the quote unquote, like worst aspects of your culture, yeah, anti-blackness right? is everywhere. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, <laughs> I've never, I think like really at the root of it, I was never accepted by my Indian family. Um, mm-hmm. And I was never accepted by a lot of Indian, just like the temple felt weird to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't feel all the way like who I was and like nowhere did. And I think that's a weird part of being biracial um, because nowhere, yeah. like when I go home to my, my like white family who, I keep saying it. They're going to hate that. They would hate that I'm saying this right now. <laughs> um, I feel a part and both, both a part and not a part at the same exact time. Yeah. So um, yeah. I get that. Um, going back to the internalized racism, I'm going to expose myself a little bit, but I also am like, Indians suck at driving. Indians <laughs> smell bad. Like, have you ever been on Air India? And also Leanna calls me out on this all the time, but those are the moments where I lean oh, into wow. my Muslim side. Non-athletic, non-athletic, sorry. <laughs> just like, okay, this is, we're not about to sit here and just- Never doing well in the Olympics. <laughs> um, but no, the internalized racism comes out when I notice myself thinking about and explicitly leaning into my Muslim side where I'm like, oh no, Muslims are super clean, we're halal, mm. which is not- you use it to like distance yourself. Totally, totally. Well, I mean, I also want to point out that I do feel like there's this really interesting like interplay between in-group and out-group stereotypes. And if you're in the group and you're using those stereotypes, like there are times and in, in which that can be like playful and that can actually be a way that you do stick together, right? Like I think of all the things that like Puerto Ricans say about themselves. And obviously a lot of them are harmful, but also a lot of them are harmless if you are a Puerto Rican saying it about other Puerto Ricans within a space of Puerto Ricans, right? It's like, it's a camaraderie. It's like a, you're laughing at yourself for those things. So I do think there's a line there, but, but 
you know, it is, it is dangerous, especially if, if most of your friends aren't Indian and they hear you say that and they're not like, you know, they're not going to question it. They're like, oh, well, Lindsay said it, so blah, blah, blah. But that's just like, I don't know, that's also really frustrating because like, is it your responsibility to not say things around white people so that they don't think it, you know? I think it was all made like brought to a point for me um, when Chris said that he felt self-conscious of being interested in an Indian guy. To me, why did, wait, why did he say, sorry, Chris because, is from episode one, one of our really close friends. If you, if you don't know, he's also my roommate, but why did Chris say that to you? Because I have, he thought you were going to judge I him. have made my feelings about dating. Yeah. Indian men very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that broke my heart. I felt very, very bad. It, and it was like, a, he held a mirror up to my face in that moment. Um, yeah, that's real. And that makes me like, again, hypothetical children someday or whoever, or not even hypothetical because Ari, you teach a bunch of kindergartners, right? Real children. What are you accidentally passing on to them by, by making these jokes to, to the kinds of people who, you know, maybe don't think critically about them? It's a, it's a question for, for anyone, right? But yeah, okay. Well, I guess I want to kind of switch gears a little bit to the opposite end of the spectrum, which is like, what are the things that you are proud of? What are the things that you do love about being Indian that you feel like are unique to that? Fashion and jewelry. I think like it's one of those things that you see being appropriated very often. Aria here. You just heard me refer to the idea of appropriation. We will be coming back to this later in the podcast, so I wanted to quickly define it for you. Cultural appropriation is referring to the unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of customs, practices, ideas from one people or society by members of another and typically more dominant people or society. So basically, it comes down to the idea that people, often white people, cherry pick their favorite parts of a culture without ever having to have experienced the discrimination that comes with it. So a concrete example of this would be the controversy surrounding Iggy Azalea and her decision to essentially adopt the image of a black woman to further her career without ever having to experience the discrimination that comes with being a black woman. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I'm very proud of um, Indian dress and jewelry and that kind of naturally feeds into Bollywood mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm is Bollywood to... unproblematic? First of all, what Bollywood movie should I watch tonight? <laughs> I would Give love me one. to watch one. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch one. Uh, Dave Das. Dave Das is my favorite movie. Okay, amazing. And is, and second question is, is Bollywood unproblematic? I'm assuming Bollywood is rife with colorism, just like Hollywood, right? Yeah. Okay, it's just, it's just as problematic as India is as a whole. Okay. But, <laughs> but that being said, you can still have pride in it, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But you're just going to see it's like, it's an appropriate reflection okay. of everything that's going on. Oh, that's you know? a good way to think about it. Okay, so we got jewelry, we've got Bollywood, we got fashion. And see anything else that you want to add that makes you food? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, food is amazing. Yeah, I think like food, chai, food culture in India, street food in India is like one of my favorite things that I look forward to. Um, also, Bollywood. I I can't stress this enough. Bollywood culture is so strong. What's your favorite Indian food? Non-veg. Probably butter chicken. Indians are very into non-veg and veg. That's how most Indian menus are categorized. And then in a in, in veg is pao bhaji, which is like a vegetable stew, and it's so delicious. Is that Southern Indian in tea? I think so, yeah. Southern Indian food is so bomb. Pao bhaji, dosas, idli, sambar. Mm, I love so it. Okay, um... <laughs> I, my family comes from Northern India, so that's a lot of what I've had. I love golgappa or pani puri, which are like these puffed pastries that you like crack open and you put like a flavored water and chickpeas in them and they explode in your mouth. It's amazing. I also just love like bread. So all yeah. roti, parathas, naan, puri. Shermal. Like, yes. Um, do, or uh, batura. <laughs> like literally <laughs> there's hand motions for all of these. <laughs> are huge. Like they're so like poofed and huge. They're amazing. Um, so I love the bread and I love bread with a jar. It's delicious. All right. Now that we're hungry, yeah. <laughs> let's be unhungry with my final question, which is what are your absolutely nots? What are the disgusting things that people say and do that they should absolutely not do with regard to, you know, your Indian identity, your Muslim identity, your Hindu identity? Break it down. I, I have uh, two things that come to mind. One, I think this applies like beyond just Indian people. But if you're wondering like why I'm not white, <laughs> 
don't say like what are you or where are you from because um I just can't believe we still have to say this I'm constantly like wow your skin's beautiful what are you and you're like (laughs) nano nano you know I feel like an alien but um but yeah so I think like what you really want to ask is why am I not white and maybe just like I might prefer you just saying that <laughs> just say like what makes you brown and I can let you know uh, because otherwise I will take you down a torturous rabbit hole of what your questions are so I was born here yeah and- I'm Ohio and then oh we moved to Chicago <laughs> yeah where are your parents from they were born here grandparents they also live here so you know and then my second one would be like please stop wearing bindis and appropriating Indian culture at freaking music festivals um or and om tattoos I cannot with om tattoos I cannot with white people with Indian shit. stop saying namaste I stop saying namaste in bed stop saying I I literally I cannot like with any more cartooning of Indian culture wait what about yoga we haven't talked about yoga I'm I'm okay with yoga I don't think it's like kind of making things into jokes if you can't explain the reason behind the bindi on your head um (laughs) then you have no business wearing what is like it it has a meaning it signifies your third eye it's like a spiritual part of Hinduism and your chakras so don't use the Um, third eye to try to see the stage better at Coachella (laughs) I the thing is I I literally forget about it because people have appropriated it so much I'm like oh it's like it's because Indian culture I think represents spirituality for white people I think white people <laughs> get your yeah, own <laughs> white people think like being spiritual means like you're an Indian person and you are gonna go see like a yogi <laughs> you're like I, I feel like it's just so prevalent. Here's the thing. I don't know how to, like, draw the line for people who, like, there are some white people that could wear a sari or a bindi and I won't be mad, but then there are other people who I would be. So where does the... Who would they not be mad at? White people who go... You! To- Leah, if you were yeah. a sari and a bindi, I'd be like, damn, like, look at my fondest fuck friend wearing a sari and a bindi. Or Beyonce. Be Beyonce in that video with Coldplay. I was, I was happy about that. People, any of you were mad at her, but I was like... She's showcasing, like, the most beautiful parts of India. Uh, this I is was, the appropriation versus appreciation argument. Yes, I was also, yeah. but also at the same time, like, I was very grateful for any representation I got, period. So, like, I saw Cheetah Girls One World. <laughs> I was thrilled. Yes! Was thrilled. And yeah, that's you know fair. what I mean? I think, I think just, like, Bend It Like Beckham, like, anytime you see, like, Indian representation coming through and Oh, Western, my God, what's the Bend It Like Beckham quote where, where she, like, says all this okay. stuff? And he's like... Of course I know how you feel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm Scottish, I, or I'm Irish. I know how well, you no, feel. Yes. <laughs> you just overreacted, that's all. It's not all. She called me a packy, but I guess you wouldn't understand what that feels like, would you? Jess, I'm Irish. Of course I'd understand what that feels like. Just question yourself. I feel like that's the theme of most of Leanna's shit, right? It's like, question why you're doing it. If you're doing a shit ton of yoga, question if you like know its origin and its roots. And this is why I think it's so important to have friends who you're super close with of a variety of backgrounds. Because for you to specifically, like I would feel comfortable asking these questions because I know that you care and you would want me to, I think, to a certain extent, if it's like a thoughtful ask, right? But if I don't have a close friend that represents a culture that I'm appropriating, then I don't think there is a, an outlet where you can ask the correct questions and come up with the right answer. But even if I do have those friends and I do ask those questions and we answer them and we discuss them and I'm still like going about, do I just stop? Like, do I just stop wearing these things? I feel telling everyone to stop doing yoga. Like, I I don't feel like I can say that. Yeah. You know, it's just, I don't know. But you, but you could, you would feel comfortable telling somebody to stop wearing a bindi, right? 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100%. But what if they've done the introspection and they've talked to us and they understand, like, it's underpinning? And make your whole fucking caption dedicated to the meeting. <laughs> of the you know what I mean? Like, it's just... Okay, okay, fair. Everyone needs to know that you've thought about it. Do you know what I mean? I feel I like... Also- yeah. 
I also think, I mean, we can have this conversation on a, on a general broad level, but I do think the specific thing you're talking about is super important, right? Like a bindi versus like a practice that you do, like there are clear benefits for doing yoga for yourself that you could, I could feel, I would feel much more comfortable arguing like why I personally want to engage in yoga because I can understand the personal benefits that I get from it, appreciate where it comes from, appreciate the practice versus slapping a bindi on my forehead is literally just to look different and to like exoticize and capitalize on the exoticization. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's not, I can't think of a substantial argument for why I'm doing that other than like, oh, I think it looks cool and I want to be mm-hmm. different and I'm stealing from people who do it. You know, like I can't, I can't really rationalize that. I've one. been telling people since college to stop wearing bindis. <laughs> yeah, anything to add there? Yeah, absolutely do not compare Indian women to Jasmine to Frida Pinto in Slumdog Millionaire, which by the way, it's not even not, Indian. Yeah. It's not it's not a Bollywood movie. It was directed by a white dude called Danny Boyle. Um absolutely do not um so one thing that a lot of men specifically do is once they're surprised to know that I'm 100% Indian, they'll say that I actually look biracial as a compliment. So absolutely do not do that. As if there's something wrong with being 100% Indian. Yeah. Yes. Um, absolutely do not assume that Indian matchmaking is representative of all people in India. There is a community, um, a beautiful community in India called the Hijra community. They are a community of transgender and intersex people and are legally recognized as the third gender. They are not going to be captured by shows like Indian matchmaking, by movies like Slumdog Millionaire. Fair, but like anything we see to be critical consumers and remember that like most of what you watch is heteronormative is gonna you know prioritize lighter skinned people people with money yada 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 and indian matchmaking is no different is is what you're saying absolutely what about being muslim absolutely do not assume that all muslims come from the middle east or the politically correct term is southwest asia Oh, absolutely do not assume that Islam is an oppressive religion for women. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Those are great. Well, thank you both so much for joining me. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in today. If you think Indian culture is beautiful, you are absolutely correct. However, I hope Arya and Insia help to clarify for you, like they have for me, the difference between benign appreciation and frustrating or harmful appropriation. Like always, there were so many more things we wanted to cover. You can check out the show notes for some Bollywood recommendations from Insia and Ari, as well as some topics to research if you're interested in learning more. A belated Eid Mubarak to all the Muslims listening, and nos vemos next time on Absolutely Not. Absolutely not.